Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there's huge curiosity surrounding these topics, and we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. From uniforms to uniforms. From Uniforms to Unicorns is sponsored by Brand 47 Coffee, which was founded by Holly and Alex, both first responders looking to create a sustainable business to pass on to their two sons with Down syndrome, Jax and Nico. Thinking about the future has always been in the forefront of their heads for their boys, creating meaningful employment and independence as adults. The only way to do that was to create it. Brand 47 Coffee Co. provides the most unique and fun-flavored coffee. Seriously, it is so good. Our Mine and Sharon's favorite is the Coco Loco. It's coconut-infused. It is to die for. All of their coffee is small-batched and roasted to order. They are incredible people doing incredible things. Their vision is to keep the world caffeinated, to stay special, and be extra. You can find them at brand47coffee.com. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. You Good. Enjoying this rainy Monday? Mm, uh, you know what? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the summer's been so busy, right? With the, a lot of things. And now I'm just like, oh, good. We can just relax totally. for a little bit. And um, it's freezing though. Like, yeah. I went it's for a walk nice. yesterday and it was like sleet snow. I was like, what the? <laughs> and I was in shorts. You know when you get like so cold that when you come back, your hands or your cheeks are like hot. My legs were like that yesterday. It was like whatever, August 22nd. So it's been crazy. It's it been crazy. Been. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we're excited to record today. As always, we love recording and we love um, talking to people. And uh, we have Daniela Santoris here with us today. Uh, we've met through a bunch of different platforms um, that we are a part of together. She's an incredible blogger and uh, runs her own business. And uh, we actually met through the first responder world. So she'll share that with you here. And uh, thank you for being here, Daniela. We appreciate it so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Yeah, this will be such a good, a good uh, episode. Um, Daniela, tell us about yourself. Um, so I live in Kenora, Ontario, which is actually closer to you guys than Toronto. Yes. Okay. Um, I could drive to you in less than a day and it would take me two days to drive to Toronto. So we're basically like on the Manitoba border. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And a fun fact is like way back in the day, the Manitoba border actually used to run through the middle of our downtown. So that's oh. like, wow. that's how close we are. Wow. Um, like a Lloyd a minister mom. deal. What's that? Like a Lloyd minister deal. That's right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, I'm the mom of two very strong-willed independent girls. 
and I am the wife of a former corrections officer. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I know the feeling when you say strong-willed, independent girls, that's what we want, but it's hard to raise them. People need to check in on us. People need to help us and help, but it's good because later on, I'm hoping her sass, mine, turns into something great. Yeah, my older one, who's going into grade six this year, is like sassy, but a rule follower. She like just likes to sort of bend the boundaries, Mm -hmm. but like is also like likes to be on everybody's good side. My youngest, who's going into grade one, is sassy and will like throw up middle fingers everywhere probably <laughs> if she doesn't like what people have to say to her that's so interesting because my kids are the same my oldest is very much like the the people pleaser the rule follower whereas my second one is like last night he he, he and he but he has like this little conscience that I love about him yeah. and every night there's something like mom I scratched my name into your desk six months ago and you found it yet. Like, and then like last night he was like, I think I said the F word at school four times last year. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, did anyone hear you? And he's like, no, it's like when I hurt myself on the playground, I'm like, okay. But like, he loves to break the rules, but then he has a little conscience that yes. like he can't sleep at night because he always has something to tell me. And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> here we go. What is it? <laughs> yeah. The kids they're, they're like, my husband and I always say like, they are the best thing and the worst thing that will ever happen to you all yes, in one. <laughs> true. It's so, and, and the growth that happens just from, because me and my, my, my youngest and I are very similar, go figure. Um, but me and my oldest are so different. Right. So I, I struggle with him in a patience way because I don't understand him. Whereas he's very much like my husband. Right. So it's like, there's so much learning and growth that happens with him. Whereas Reese, it's just like, no, I know exactly what you're doing because I, I've, I'm that girl. I've been there. I've done that. I didn't get a daughter, but I got a Reese. My mom always says, you didn't get a daughter, but you got a Reese. I was like, Check. yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. funny. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. And how different they are even being raised in like the same right but but they also come in at different stages in your life too which is a lot of i've heard too right like you know the first one is very different you you do things very differently than you do with the second because you're like ah you're gonna live you'll be fine yeah you're okay (laughs) (laughs) you'll you'll make it through the night i know you will so uh i think where we're where we really want to go with this podcast is you've been through a significant incident with your husband. Uh, so we want to know a little bit about that, whatever you're comfortable sharing and then how you, cause you, you are very vocal about this. You're very not vocal. I, you write a blog about it called yes. the often unseen. Yes. Um, and you touch on being the spouse of a corrections officer and how that has affected your life. And if you know me, I, that's like my jam. I love first responder spouses. I love talking to first responder spouses. And that's how you and I have really connected, uh, mm-hmm. because it's not always, it's not always, a, or it's not about the first responder always. It's right. about what happens behind the scenes. So share with the, share with us that please. Yeah. So, um, my husband, uh, was a corrections officer here in, in Kenora. So it's not technically a jail, I guess it's more of like a remand center. So it's for anyone who's like sentenced to two years, less a day, but oftentimes they have people here for longer periods because of 
how backed up things can be. And we house a lot of people from other communities because we're sort of in a rural part of the province. Yeah. Um, so he had been there for about three years, I want to say. And uh, September 14th, 2018, about 1.30 p.m., um, I got a call from the superintendent at the jail who I knew um, from a different realm outside of, you know, the jail world. And uh, he said, hey, Daniela, it's Steve. And I said, oh, hey, Steve. And I thought maybe he was calling about something else because he was like in the Rotary Club and other stuff. So I just thought, eh. He said, uh, where are you? I said, uh, I'm at home. And he said, where's home? Because you guys just sold your house, right? And we had in June, just before, uh, or in July, sold our house and moved in with my in-laws while we were looking for our next house because the housing market here is crazy and whatever. So I said, yeah, I'm, I'm at my... Yeah. I said, what's going on? And he's like, and, I, now, and now I'm thinking like, John broke his arm or he got pepper spray. I'm thinking of like, you know, random stuff, like nothing. I'm still not thinking anything really bad has happened. And he goes, uh, what's the address? And I'm like, what? what's going on? And I'm well, like, sweating. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, um, I need the address. Cause we're sending someone over. He goes, uh, there's been an incident and they have John. Oh no. And oh I God. like, and it was like, it was, it was like a, like a moment on TV. Like I immediately left my body. I like fell to the floor and I just started like crying because as a spouse who has never been in a jail, your mind immediately goes to like anything you've seen on TV, which yeah. is like, the worst of everything. Yes. The worst of the worst. Yes. The yes. worst. And so I don't even really remember what else he said other than we're sending the chaplain from the jail and an OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police. We're sending a police officer over to come sit with you. So and the like, incident is still going on at this It's time. happening. It's in yeah. real time. And I, and I found out later that um, a nurse who works at the jail, who I know from school, our kids go to school together. Later on, she had said, um, they weren't going to call you right away. And she goes, you have to call her. And so it had probably been going on for about 20 minutes before they called me. Oh, and the God. only thing he was able to tell me was that he was conscious. He was talking. He was, didn't seem to be like have any major injuries. Um, but that physical injury had been taken hostage. Yeah. So um, I hung up the phone and I kind of like, I didn't know what to do. Um, my father-in-law um, was just getting ready to leave for work. He drives school bus and, and I kind of like made my way upstairs and he said, what's, and I said, I said, I gotta, I, and I tried to explain to him cause he's, he's very Greek and has a heavy Greek accent. And so I'm trying to explain to him without him losing it. And, uh, so I call my mother-in-law and I said, where are you? 
And she said, I'm just that dollarama or whatever. And I said, I need you to come home now. And she was like, uh, I said, I, I can't talk. I said, I need you to come home now. So by the time she got home, she rolled up and the chaplain and the OPP officer rolled up at the same time. So then she was like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. So, um, Fast forward, I let my family know via text because I couldn't even articulate words at that point. I said, I'm really sorry, I'm texting, but I'm like, I can't, I can't make four different phone calls and I can't even. Mm-hmm. So my dad uh, was retired at that point. He came over. My mom left work at the hospital. She came over. Um, John's mom who is amazing went into like she she didn't skip a beat she like got water for everyone she just went into like this mm-hmm. whole other mode that like I don't even know how she stepped up she stepped she, up right like because I yeah um so Kenora is a small town we're like 16,000 people everyone knows everyone and we didn't tell anyone outside of like, you know, who was already at the house. And then I got a text message from a friend of mine who said, I heard that this is happening at the jail. I hope John's not at work today. And all I, and then I was like, crap, this is getting out there. We hadn't even told John's sisters who lived in Kenora yet, because they're both teachers, school was still in. And uh, I said, where did you hear that? All I responded was with, where did you hear that? And he said, oh, people are talking about it in the staff room at the mill. And then I didn't respond. And that's when he knew, he goes, the fact, he's like, you always respond to your text messages. The fact that you didn't respond was like my sign. Mm -hmm. And then more texts started rolling in. Oh my God, I heard this is happening. It's John at work. Like, so then I said, we need to let my sister-in-law know they can't find out some other way. That would be right. awful. So John's mom contacted them. They left school. Um, so fast forward, we all kind of sat around. I did get a couple updates of like, they've asked for this. Um, uh, our negotiator is still, they're still talking. And they were like, mm-hmm. and then the OPP officer who was with me said, that's good. The longer they keep them talking, the longer this dra- drags out, the less steam, right? In the beginning, they're all like guns blazing. And like, that's mm-hmm. when real bad shit happens. They're like, the longer this drags out and the more steam they lose, the less likely it's going to get really bad. And so was, it, was he the only um, staff member taken hostage? He was. Yeah. And there was like, there was a big group of inmates who, who did that or. Yeah, it was 11 of them, but really some kind of like couple ring leaders. Like there were really two that were like primarily involved. The guy who was on the outside of the cell, sort of like making all the demands. And then the guy who was inside, um, so, uh, it was probably about four hours long and we finally got the call. We have John, he is safe. We have him. 
um, and the paramedics are going to be taking him to the hospital. You guys can go meet him there. So, um, what did that feel like? What was that like? It was, it, it was, um, it was probably like the biggest relief ever because, um, oh, at that point I had said to my dad, you need to go pick the girls up from school. Oh yes. I remember this. Yeah. So, um, at the time, so three years, so my oldest would have been in grade three and my youngest would have still been in daycare. I said, you need to go pick them up and, and do something with them. Mm-hmm. Like I like, cause at this point we hadn't gotten a call yet. So I said, they can't come here. Yes. I don't know what you can do, but go. And so he picked them up and he took them to the park and took them to dinner and whatever. Um, and so that whole time I kept thinking like, how am I going to tell my kids their dad died? Like, I didn't know, like, so the thought that like, I didn't have to have that conversation was just mm-hmm. like, so we raced to the hospital, um, seeing him. I just like, mm-hmm. I hugged him. I hugged the paramedics. I was just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I we can went- imagine just, I'm just thinking like, as being someone who had the possibility of being in John's situation, but also being someone who has the possibility of being in yes. your situation. I think like, we're here, we're here, we're here. Okay. We're here. Good. Yeah. Can you get to the yeah. hospital? Okay. Oh, yeah. now, you know, like so many highs and so many lows in such a short amount of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, so sorry. the hospital staff was amazing. Um, he got, you know, all checked out, no concussion. He had lots of bruises and cuts and they were worried about his shoulder from the way he had been cuffed. And, but they thought it was just sore and that there didn't look like to be any damage. So, uh, we got to go home that night. He didn't have to like stay for observation or anything. Um, so once we kind of got home, um, I, I called my dad, I said, do you want the girls to come home tonight? Like, what do you want to do? Cause you know, he was kind of just like still in shock. It wasn't quite like he wasn't, I don't think he had processed it, obviously. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so he was like, no, bring the girls home. And so he had a black eye, said, Well, we gotta tell them something about. It. And so we just made up something like he had been out in the yard and took a baseball to, you know, something. And mm-hmm. our daughter was like, Okay. Yeah. Um so it was the next day I, I talk a lot about in my story. And the reason that I started my blog was that we were very lucky in that my husband was very aware that things were not okay right away. And instead of going down the path that a lot of people do with PTSD and drinking and, you know, self medicating, he knew he's like, I need I need to go talk to someone. And at that point, the jail had obviously brought in like a crisis team and and whatnot. So he went uh, the next day or maybe the day out and and talked to someone. And and it was funny because we kind of battled in the beginning because I think he was in shock and he was so worried about making sure everyone else who was there that day was okay. 
I'm like, Sharon, hey, can you, can you relate to that so much? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would be the same way. I would be you like, to how was everybody on. else? Like yeah. that must've been so traumatic. Like I would yeah. have been more worried about the people that were a part Around, of it, the hostage yeah. negotiator that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, cause that's a really shitty spot to be in. Number one, as, yeah. um, as a corrections officer and as a, like a, a, a friend, those are your yeah. friends. So yeah. That's what I was going to say without interrupting you that like we were involved our crew in a situation where a few of us um, had gone out for our for drinks and there it was during an incident but they were like you guys can go and we didn't know um, toward the end of the incident we were already gone sitting in the bar and we were getting texts saying there was a hostage. Well, we had a hostage taker in our jail and they were like, there was an attempted hostage um, taking. And we were sitting there going, okay, there's Lauren, there's this person who's not here. And knowing that this one person wasn't there was enough to say, should we all go back? Like, what should we do? Mm -hmm. So there was that time. And another time we were sitting at my house and I got a phone call that a friend and a coworker had been assaulted. And I had her, girlfriend with me in my house saying it's going to be okay. like who wanted to run to the jail to mm-hmm. and we couldn't we we were all just there waiting and it was the hardest thing ever um and it was like not as it was a couple hours and we were like you know is she okay what happened who do we have to fight like what's <laughs> gonna go on who do we have to tell and yeah. is she going to the hospital like there's so much that that comes with that so that awareness piece like that's amazing and you said it was like the next day that he realized something's not right and that's amazing because that awareness piece I mean Mm -hmm. it sometimes takes you 10 years to to say hey something doesn't feel right here so I mean that's so good for him so what did he do so he um he went and saw the crisis team that had been brought in here. Um, and then, um, I'm, um, acquaintances with, um, our deputy, uh, OPP officer here in, in, uh, Kenora. And, uh, he had said, Hey, I had seen him at, so that this all happened on a Friday, that Monday, I went to pick my kids up from school and I saw him in the parking lot and he said, how, are you guys doing? And I just said, and so he actually gave me the number of a psychologist in Winnipeg that a lot of his guys use that primarily works with police officers, first responders. So we got connected with him and, and John started seeing him pretty early on. Um, I went with him a few times more just because John's not like a share my feelings, Mm -hmm. you know? So he was like, "Mm." so I kind of just went and sat, you know, for support. And, and, uh, and John is very much a, uh, doer, get shit done. Like give me a timeline very early on. He wanted a timeline, like how many sessions till I'm better? Like, Mm -hmm. or what do, you know, he wants steps. And so that was a big struggle for him. Uh, which in turn was kind of a struggle for me because I'm like getting what the psychologist is saying and John's, you know, trying to find, 
you know, every pass to like make this go by quicker sort of thing. Check so, the boxes, get me yeah. that's right. back to what I'm like. On get his me back session. to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After his first, you know, meeting, it was, so do I have PTSD? Mm. And his psychologist was like, well, there's no like, you know, black and white. Like, you know, he's like, we've only, I've only chatted with you for 60 minutes, but I'm going to guess that, yeah, there's probably, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, and we're also very lucky that John, um, he's just always been pretty athletic and into fitness and, and we have a great CrossFit gym here that we've been a part of for years and, and they reached out right away. He, he was also, he is a coach there and they reached out right away. Like if John needs to come in, but like without anybody else here, like we'll make that work for him. And so he quickly started going back to the gym too. And that was, and still is. Uh, very much his outlet and if he misses a day at the gym or he's just having a bad day I'll often look at him and say I think I need to go to the gym (laughs) and that's like that's probably what he has turned to where other people might turn to you know drinking you know like I'm gonna go to the bar and have a drink John is very much like I need to go to the gym and so uh very early on I realized that our journey with PTSD was not like many that you hear about, which are really dark and really awful. And, you know, I was trying to find um, groups on Facebook for spouses or things like that, that I could sort of relate to, or, you know, find a connection with, because it's very isolating Mm -hmm. because after a while, everyone else goes on with their life. And as, as they have to, like they, you know, people have to work and, and, you know, whatever they check on you, they bring you a lasagna and then they go back to what they need to do. And you already have a spouse who is obviously struggling and going through something. And so you want to keep your struggles very private because it's not about you. It's about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I quickly found that like anything I, I came across, any blogs or articles or groups, it was like obviously a lot of military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my husband. Yeah, and you. Turned, but my husband's you... turned abusive. My husband right sits in the basement and drinks all day. He doesn't talk to our kids, and I'm like. I can't relate to this. Like, right. thank God, I'm like, Oh my God, like that's so awful. But yeah. thank God that that's not my journey in this so far. Yes. And you, and I know you've openly talked about like making sure John was okay. And then realizing you weren't okay. Yeah. That was my, my, my self-appointed job for the first probably year and a half, two years, mm. probably still now, if I, you know, like, if you're being, if you're being yeah. like, yeah, it's always a number one priority because it's what does he need? And especially in the beginning, because he didn't have that capacity, understandably, like he could only focus on what he could focus on. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, 
and, and I've written lots of blogs on like, you know, having a spouse with PTSD turned me into like a micromanager, you know, that hypervigilance, that all that stuff that you realize quickly is so effing exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just was like, you know what, I need to start doing something. If it's not that I'm ready for therapy yet, I'm just going to start putting my words down on the computer and even that act of, of that was therapeutic. So I wrote a few and just for myself. And then I kind of said to John, I'm thinking of starting a blog, but it's not just my story. It's our story a lot of the time. And are you okay with that? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I showed him a couple that I had written before I published them. And I said, like, are you okay? Like, are you cool with this? And he was like, yeah. So are you ready for the information you're about to read that yeah. is locked in my head that is going to give you a different perspective? Almost, yeah. and, right? he's, and he did struggle reading it because it was hard for him to read because it's just hard, you know, just like it is as a spouse, you know, mm-hmm. to hear that your, uh, that your partner is struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I've been writing that blog for, I guess, over a year now. Um, I try to put out like once a month and this summer I kind of was just like, you know what, I'm going to take a break and mm-hmm. and whatever. But I've made a lot of great connections and met, you know, online a lot of great people and people have been so supportive of like being able to relate to it and, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's a whole nother ball game being the spouse. Cause you are very much like suffering behind the scenes, so to speak. And that's kind of how I came up with the name because when I was looking for stuff, it was like a, in the, like in the, in the PTSD first responder world, like corrections are like the bottom, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. No one, no one talks about it. And even when John got approached early on after to be on up talk on Sean Conahan's podcast, he said, corrections officers don't want to talk. They never want to be on, um, you know, and so whenever you're ready, I'd love to have you on. Um, and so that was sort of like the often unseen because yeah. I was like, Hey, corrections officers are never seen, which means their spouses are even less likely to be seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I completely agree. Like we, um, correctional officers, we just made the, the first responder list, like not that long ago, yeah. I remember being in the jail and a psychologist or psychiatrist actually said, you know, you, that's what you're paid to do. Develop, you know, thicker skin were some of the comments and saying, what did, what do you think you signed up for? And Lauren and I can go back and say, we didn't even know what the fuck we signed up for. <laughs> A, B, like, it's not about having thicker skin. It's about, like you said, being aware and managing some of this stuff that man, it comes, shows up later. It yeah. shows up for us later. And we are unseen because people don't even, they talk because about so you're many behind other those things. Yeah. Walls. yeah. You're not out in the community. And people don't want to hear about it too. They're like, okay, that inmate is caught. Let's yeah. lock them up and let's never speak of it again. Right. But yeah. it's like, guess what we're doing today? Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Mm. It's so, it's so true. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, for anyone who's gone through, you know, something where there's like a legal side to it, like this happened. You guys in 20- just went through the trial. This happened 2018, mind you, COVID happened. So that of obviously course, yeah. pushed stuff back, but like, yeah, we just had the trial in April. So like two and a half years later. So even that, just like not having that done with just sort of like hangs over your head and it's like this looming thing. And, and, um, even learning how that process goes, no one knows about that. You see law and order and you think this is like, yeah, (laughs) tomorrow we're doing this. And then next week we're doing this and then it's all done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. So even just learning that and how that process goes and, and being able to have realistic expectations of what kind of, you know, quote unquote justice will come of this. Yes. Is part of like that acceptance of like, okay, he got seven years, which in Canada is like, that's a pretty hefty sentence yeah, totally. on top of, you know, cause it was, He's already serving eight, so seven more. So it's like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like if you're, if you, the professionals are telling me that that's, that's a good, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and- a tough thing to go through. And I, I wanted to touch on something too, before you had talked about like, so John's outlet has always been working out and that was something he had before, right? Yeah. It wasn't, and here's the thing is like so many people go through trauma and then people are like, well, why don't you try drinking more water? Why don't you try exercising more? Right. Like get more luckily sleep. For John, uh, yeah. Right. Like luckily for John, that was something that was all, that was like a resiliency tool that he had already built. Right. Something yeah. that is his a little bit of escape to say, and I'm sure it's not something he goes to the gym and it's not something he thinks about or doesn't pop in his head or anything like that, but it's a, a positive outlet for him to like mm-hmm. step out of that space for a moment. Right. Yeah. No. Oh. And I know you, because uh, I saw, I watch your Instagram all the time. Uh, I know you talked today. I was like, oh, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. Uh, you had mentioned today that you have certain things that you have done, but there's one thing that you've picked up on recently that Sharon and I have spoken about very much on this podcast and together. Um, yeah. So I'd love for you to share what that is. Yeah, I just, yeah. Um you know, I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a type eight Enneagram, all that stuff, you know, oh, the same as me. and call it, <laughs> and call out other girl we had like quite often. I'm, I've always been outgoing and love being around people and, and whatever. I'm not like a stay at home kind of girl, but I've really noticed in, in the last, you know, two years or whatever that I really try to fill my days so that I'm busy. My mind is busy. My thoughts are busy. I'm doing stuff because my biggest go-to is when I'm driving alone, when it's quiet, that's when like, I will replay that whole day from the call to the call in my head over on repeat. And it's like, no, don't want to think about that. I'm going to, you know, invite someone over for coffee or I'm going to arrange a play date or I'm going to. Yeah. So I'm like, I've always been outgoing, but I, I really try to like not have down days because mm. I'm just like, Hmm. 
that yeah. means I have to, that means I have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, uh, as, as soon as I left corrections, I was, my son was like, I want to say six months old. And I was like free, like freaking out because I was so bored and nothing like, okay, he's getting a little bit older now. What am I going to do? And I like went into like owning a business, starting a business. Mm -hmm. And then I was so busy. But then when I took a few seconds to sit back, I was like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have some big things going on behind this, (laughs) this distraction that I've, and it was so interesting because someone had asked me, would you go into, um, I had an activewear store. Would you go into designing your own activewear? And I was like, yeah, totally. That sounds awesome. And when I brought it home to my husband, my husband was like, don't you think you have enough things going on? And I was like, what? You're trying to sabotage? Like, and he's yeah. like, hold on for a second, Lauren. We have two young kids. I work shift work. You run this business. We have amazing staff but we also have had crappy staff which has caused like a ton of turmoil but I love that turmoil right mm-hmm. it's the thing that kept me busy it was the thing that kept me not thinking about why I'd been through and why I had left and you know how to keep going I just stayed in this space of chaos yeah and I thrived in it I I started businesses I closed businesses I started <laughs> like I thrived in this situation but I also uh, was extremely moody. The anger that I had significant amount of drinking, uh, like lots of the signs were there for me to be like, okay, Lauren, you got to take a step back and like, why, why is this? Mm -hmm. And I know for you, the writing is super important and that's where you pick up on your like, oh shit, I'm doing this. Oh crap. This is where this comes from. Cause you've I know you've done a lot of research in this area and spoke to a bunch of people in this area. So you have that background. It's just like, yeah, it's the little seeds that get planted along the way that grow. And you're like, I'm here now. Right. This is the thing that's uh, been affecting me. So I know that uh, the blog has helped you. What else helps you? Cause you said working out helps John. Yeah. And another, and I think I, I think I wrote a blog about this, but like having, like different types of friends Mm, like I have my friends who you know um sort of like keep me grounded and like um you know we have fun together and things like that and then I also have the friends that I can talk to the really heavy ugly shit about and not ever worry that they will judge me or judge John. Cause that's another big trauma thing. Like mm-hmm. you don't want anyone to ever think anything bad about your spouse. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if they're having a bad day or they had, you know, a blow up or something like you don't want someone to look back and be like, Oh, he sounds abusive or, Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds like an awful man. Like, cause that's not what it is if they don't right. understand it. Right. So just having those, different sort of pods that I can pull from as I need it also so that you're not always putting all the heavy ugly shit on the same person yeah (laughs) here's my trauma you can have have it (laughs) and so you know I have friends who who know John very well and so they know who he is and what he stands for and so I can talk to them about it and I know that they won't judge him and I also have friends who don't really know him at all but like 
they're never judgmental, always supportive. So it's just like, yeah, having that has really, um, helped the writing and finally coming to the realization that I can take time for myself and shit's not going to fall apart at home because, Mm. you know, it was like, I can't do this because, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave John alone in case he has a Mm -hmm. bad moment or something. You're always like trying to be one step ahead of everything so that nothing bad ever happens again. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's hyper, hyper vigilance. And it's also, I always make a joke, like, like not only am I the mom here, but I'm the house manager. Right. So if I'm not on top of everything, everything's going to fall apart. Right. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm with you. Then I'm like, I'm ready to snap here though. Like, so I need to take, cause I'm not an extrovert by any means. I'm the, <laughs> I'm an introvert. So I go inside yeah. when I need, and then the people around me are like, what's your deal? But it's That's like, right, yeah. yeah, I don't have a deal. Like, this is just, I need to meditate. I need to listen to music. I need to write and I need to do it all alone. So yeah. everybody get out of my face, get out of the house manager's office because I'm taking time for myself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's massive too. Like, cause, uh, a lot of our, our stuff stem from me not being able to communicate mm-hmm. and Trev also not being able to communicate. So we do house meeting, uh, lots of times it's like, okay, here's what I have going on this week. So here's the heads up, like Trevor's schedules. Trevor's pretty like a go to work guy, come home. Let me know if <laughs> you've invited people over this week. Yeah. Of, like is his yeah. deal is like, and it can't be after a night shift. We have very specific girls around yeah. all of these things. <laughs> He's like, it can be after a night shift, but when I walk out of the room and don't come back, like don't come find me. Don't mm-hmm. I'm not interested in coming back. So yeah. um, so that we do it was a communication piece. Like I'm exhausted after night shift. I don't want to have to have people here for pizza and beer because you, you know, like you're welcome to go and do whatever the hell you want. It, I'm yeah. okay with that, but don't bring me. So there are some pretty big parameters around that of how do you feel like you're a part of this family, number one, and that your voice matters because yeah. I'm very much like, I would have people at my house every single day, playing mm-hmm. games, hanging out, kids playing, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, <laughs> that's who I am. Whereas my husband is like, one, once a week, Lauren, I'm like, oh, not yeah. like, go to someone else's house. I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we're kind of like that. Like I have like three girlfriends who all go to the gym. One is also a coach at the gym. And so they come over quite often for coffee, but John doesn't think them of them as like company. They just, they're here. They're here. Like, yeah, they're the girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I am an, I am an extrovert. I love being around people, but if we get invited somewhere where it's both of us, I am very much more particular about like, where are we going? Who's going to be like, I still try to manage. Whereas like, if it's just me, I'm like, yeah, I'll go, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that you're that the protector of him, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Absolutely. and and Trevor like, says that I'm done. Can you stop making new friends? Like, I don't know. Like, he doesn't want new people. He likes yeah. the, the old, comfortable people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who are exactly because they know. Like, don't ask me questions about what happened downtown last week. That's I'm not. Right. I cannot. I cannot answer those questions. So let's just. Where's the old guys? Or the the, the guys will be like, this is what I heard. Confirm yeah, or yeah. deny. Confirm <laughs> or deny. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> Well, and it's just, yeah, like, again, Kenora is a small town and like, 
John went to go buy some fencing materials he found on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. And the older gentleman was like really nice. And, and they started chit-chatting or whatever. And John goes, yeah. And then, you know, he asked me where I work or where he goes, oh, your name sounds familiar. And John goes, well, I used to work at the gym. And John's pretty good about talking about it now. He doesn't really, it doesn't really bother him too much, but he goes, yeah, I used to work at the jail. Oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, but not anymore. And John goes, well, no, I'm moving. Mean, he goes, oh, you know, and, and innocent questions. John's like, I didn't get the nosy vibe. But John goes, well, you know, uh, there was that, you know, incident at the jail a few years ago. And he goes, oh, yeah, we were working that day. That must have been. And John was like, yep, that was, that was me. And then the guy was like, oh oh my god like you know but like when you keep your circle the same people you don't have to like go over like mm -hmm. don't bring this up right. no don't talk about that no mm -hmm. don't like it's like everybody's already aware of like you know the rules yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. so did, did the, he return did he return to corrections or he didn't go back um so that was september so in march of the following year he went back in a different role, not an officer role, but, um, um, it was like a rec coordinator and he had actually applied for that job like a year before. And so like organizing programs and services to come in and, and do different activities. Um, and then, so that was like, yeah, March. And then in July, they started to have, so after the incident, like immediately after they got John out, they sent all the people involved to all different places, wherever they could. Some went to like Thunder Bay, some went to Winnipeg, some, they all got scattered. Um, but then John got told a couple of them were having to be brought back for court dates or this or that. And so John was just like, well, while they're here, I'm going to not be here. And they were totally cool with that. But then just as he was away, he was like, I don't want to go back. It was hard for him to like be down in the office and like hear a code be called and, and not respond because he knew what was happening. So that was a struggle for him. So he, after that, he didn't go back to the jail at all. He stayed with like the Ontario public service, like the governing body. Um, and he actually recently just officially left the government of Ontario mm. to pursue his passions of fitness and coaching and doing all that full time. So um, that's amazing. I know. Yeah. I, he had just I, never, that job. I never wanted him to go back. And I remember being in the psychologist's office, John, and John talking about how he did want to try to go back and, you know, he didn't. And it was mostly because he was like, I don't want them, the inmates, yeah. to determine when I'm done here. He right. wanted it to be on his terms. And I was like, okay, if this is what you're like, okay. I was really unenthused and I had a hard time with it. And, and the, the admin at the jail were really great. They actually let me go in on a tour to kind of see like, where John would be working, how it was separated. This is sort of the safety parameters in place and he won't have to see, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, I, I still didn't like it, but it was, it was what it had to be. So that was sort of another one of those spouses pills. You just have to kind of, okay, I'm and here. And communi communicating it, right. To say like, yeah. 
I need to, I, this is what I need to feel okay with you being there yeah. all the time. Right. Because yeah. I'm sure the anxiety around that, the, all of that, when he did go back to work yeah. is, is, is a, it's a struggle for both of you, but sitting at home, knowing that, you know, this happened yeah. before it has the potential to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, is, yeah. is totally and he got really good those few months that he was there anytime. Cause again, small town, it's like the right. fire truck was there. like, he got really good at being like, this is what's happening. I'm okay. Yes. Like, and I would be like, okay. Like, yeah. And I remember when we were in, so we are not, I don't know if things have changed. You're not allowed to take your cell phone into the jail specifically for that reason, because yeah. they had had yeah. um, a hostage taking at another institution where the nurse had her cell phone. And, and, and I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, they can, they have access to a ton of information mm-hmm. about you if they are able to get into their phone or whatever. Yeah. But I remember like, we weren't even allowed to use the phone. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, and Edmonton is, is big enough, but you know, there's people on the outside that connect with this person that knows my husband or knows my yeah. friend, and it doesn't take long for stuff like that to get out. Right. Well, so- and even this, our story, like I remember people saying like, it was on the news in Alberta and it was on the news in Quebec. And like, because it was such a big deal that, you know, cause you know, hostage taking. So it is a big, it's a that mad, Yeah. But like, especially in Kenora, it had never really happened to that extent. And it really started to shine a light on corrections here because maybe three years prior to that, there was a big one in Thunder Bay, which is like five hours east where it lasted for like 24 hours. Like there was like big damage to the bill. It was awful. And so that was also what I thought of when I got the call. Holy shit. Like. Cause that guy had like a broken arm and broken ribs. And I just kept being like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And the yeah. physical injuries were minimal, but the mental, right? Like the physical injuries mm-hmm. heal. Yep. But the mental ones are the ones and, you don't think about at yeah. the time. Right. You're just like, okay, we got no broken bones. Let's go. And, then- and I think that people like society still think that way a lot because I had someone who I kind of like, again, with a, a very light acquaintance come up to me, maybe like around Thanksgiving. Cause my sister was home from school. I remember in like public, I had the girls, we were out at a restaurant and he said, Oh, wow. Uh, how's everything going? I said, you know, good. And he goes, your husband's back to work now. And I said, no, like not even been a month, like, no. And he goes, well, it's over, isn't it? He, he's okay. He's okay. And I was just like, and I looked at him and I'm like, I'm with my kids. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was just like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I, I relate to that more on the cancer side. Right. Cause when, you know, the doctor says you have no more cancer, everybody's like, yay, it's a big party. And your brain doesn't do that. Your brain is yeah. like, well, now they're not monitoring me. When's it coming back? Is it going to show up? Mm-hmm. In, it'll be in my lungs next. Mm-hmm. I know it. Cause I smoked for this, you know, like your brain does <laughs> fucked up things to you. Um, yeah. but yeah, I know. And I know you guys have, I love how open you have been about this journey because there are so many people that aren't willing mm-hmm. to speak about it mm-hmm. um and sharon and i have always said like telling your story heals different pieces of you do you feel that that's true 100 percent. and it yeah. and it brings awareness to other 
pieces that are broken that maybe you weren't aware of before. It's like, mm. I put this piece back together. And in doing that, oh, I realized this piece is out of place. Oh, okay. Or like, oh, I didn't know that me checking that the doors are locked five times before I go to bed is a trauma response. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, that's not normal. Oh, that's not, oh. <laughs> Yeah. And we, uh, and yeah, we talk lots about like drinking being normal, you know, uh, getting together after shift, be, like all of these things that we yeah. do in a cultural trauma specific thing that mm-hmm. is, you know, not normal in the real world until yeah. you actually step out of that world. And then you're yeah. like, Oh, people don't do this every day of their lives. They don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They have other friends outside of this facility. Weird, you know? Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, um, Sharon has one more question for you. Yeah. Um, first of all, like, we're so grateful for you willing to share, uh, your story with us. And, and it's, it's awesome that we know from three years ago, like how much has changed within corrections Mm -hmm. and people protecting their mental health. So I'm going to ask you, what are you living for? Oh, um, I'm really living for creating a life that feels good. And I think, you know, as a family, we're really on that journey. Like I said, John was like, I could keep this government job, you know, that has benefits and pen, you know, all those reasons most people go into a government job, but, but like he hated going to work every day. It wasn't what he wanted to do. He knew where he wanted to be. And I was like, then that's what we, that's what we need to do. That's where you need to go. And we took that step and guess what things are, you know, they work out and, and same for me, it's like, okay, I can, you know, start going back to the gym and, and, you know, taking care of myself and carving out time for me because all those things make family time better. And, you know, focusing on just doing things that, that feel good for us and not necessarily what you think being successful means Mm -hmm. anymore. It's like, Oh, John left his job. What about his pension? What about his benefits? I'm like, who gives a crap? I know. We get that too. Yeah. He hated going to work every day. Who cares? Yeah. He's a unicorn. unicorn. He's a unicorn (laughs) from unicorns to unicorns. Yeah. Not a lot of people that get out. And and, yeah. Even for myself, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go back to, you know, working at the school again this year because it feels good. And if it doesn't feel good next year, then, you know, I, maybe I will go back to doing my business full time. Cause that, you know, took a back seat when all of this happened. It was, yeah. it was like, yeah. Daniela doesn't work with social media, just so you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've got to have uh, meetings with her and. Ooh, if you want a business, she's your girl. She's your girl. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And, and you want to do for, it yourself. Yeah. We are living for just making choices that, that feel like we are on the path to like being happy. Yeah. Cause I think awesome. we, I think as people and, you know, first responders and spouses and you just, you, you start to feel like content, like it's not bad. It's you not lose good. Sight. You, you lose just, sight. Yeah. And you just sit in it and it's like, but it could be better. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Oh, we appreciate it so much. I always love talking to you. You know that. uh, (laughs) And then you got to meet Sharon, which is always exciting. And um, 
Cool. Well, um, again, we appreciate it. We love your story. Um, I hope that, and and I, I know that people, um, get value from reading what you write and uh, paying attention to what you say. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an honor. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at from uniforms to unicorns, uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, speaker, all of those. Also feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day, love. Lauren and Sharon.